0: Welcome to Additive Snack, the podcast that takes your additive manufacturing journey to the next level. I'm Fabian Alderfeldt, a member of the award-winning consulting, engineering and education team at EOS called Additive Minds. And I'm your host. In this fourth and final episode of our AM Space Race series, we have a very special guest with us. Tim Simpson, a professor of engineering design and manufacturing at Penn State. Tim runs one of the best additive manufacturing programs in the U.S., where students can graduate with a Master of Engineering in Additive Manufacturing and Design. He also consults with the NASA Langley Research Center on System Design and Additive Manufacturing. And that's why today, Tim and I will be discussing the implications of the latest developments in the space industry and what the implications are for other industries. But first, listen to this. Did you hear that humming sound after a few seconds? That was NASA's Ingenuity helicopter flying on Mars. In this episode, we'll explore how technology such as this one can be used to advance industries such as mobility here on Earth. And without further ado, welcome to Out of Snack, Tim.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. Great to be here.
0: (laughs) So, Tim, I was looking through your LinkedIn profile and uh, recently... Somebody called you an additive rock star, which I think already uh, says a lot about you. And if I would would summarize what, what I know about you is that, you know, you built probably, if not the most prestigious additive manufacturing program of any university. We've had a few of the students that ran through your program also Part of our organization, part of other organizations that we've met, and I think you've built a very impressive program. Now, how did you get from Tim, the engineering student, to Tim, the professor who is teaching that program?
1: That's uh, great. Yeah, and I guess uh, I I owe Ralph Resnick some money there for my uh, editing manufacturing rock star. Yeah. Certainly, certainly not what I set out to do. Right, uh, this whole social media thing you're an influencer whatever that means so uh anyway
0: it's a compliment yeah. It's
1: been, yeah it is no i i love it i appreciate it i'm flattered right it's an honor to be considered in that and um i feel very fortunate even the 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 lab here the people here the projects the companies right this is not no one individual can do this alone and succeed there's so much you have to learn and understand and experience and have access to so we've just we've been very fortunate at at penn state and in my other roles to be able to pull the the people and the processes and put together a a program that is resonating as you said very well with companies out there we've been fortunate my background real quick the mechanical engineer way back when cornell undergrad Finally, my one free elective took a design course and was like, Yeah, this is cool. I'm going to go to grad school. Got there and realized, Hey, research is pretty cool. And I can do research in product design and optimization and stuff. I'm going to go do that. And hey, I like this teaching thing. I'm going to go be a professor and let's go do that. And uh, Penn State hired me, actually, joint but split between mechanical and industrial. So sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, I've always had, you know, sort of one foot in the product design side, and then the other in like the manufacturing and making. And so, you know, fast forward to 10 years or so ago, when this whole, uh, you know, the the big, the the renewed hype, or the second sort of wave of interest around additive took off, it was right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. I had been teaching and using 3D printing in our design courses, right, for a year. Hey, you do prototypes, you do this, right, standard stuff. But met Rich Marticanitz in our applied research laboratory, went in and saw a metal 3D printer and was like, wait, we can 3D print metal? What? And then uh, shortly after, bumped into Robert Cohen, who was working at Pipeline Orthopedic, now president of digital robotic enabling technology at Stryker that had just gotten an FDA approved titanium hip implant. And I saw that and that was my innovation trigger, right? It was like, holy cow, look Mm -hmm. what we can do now. I just got chilled thinking about that moment. Wow, this is going to change the world. What do we need to do? What do we need to learn? And it's just been, it it just took off from there, right? So so that's that's how we got to here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, you're right, it did change the world, right? I mean, even today, and in this miniseries, when we talk about space, a majority of space applications and space companies would not be where they are today. With, without additive manufacturing. And um, in order to get to that point, we need the talent that is partially also developed uh, in your course. So how does that program look like? What are the, the key phases that your students go through that enable them to be already experts in additive when they leave your program?
1: No, great, great question. Thank you, And that. You know it it we sort of learned along the way, right? I think that's been one of these challenges, particularly with metal additive, is that you're you're sort of learning learning the physics and the process at the same time that people want to train and learn and how to use it. And so it's a very chicken and egg. And I think we have been extremely fortunate again with having the resources and infrastructure that we have at a university yet also working closely through the Applied Research Laboratory here. So that's a Navy-affiliated university research center. Rich Marta Kanitz was lead, now Ted Reutzel. And so there, it's, it's very applied research, right? The Navy has, has a problem or a challenge that happened to be additive-focused, and they turn around and say, hey, the adm- admiral wants to print parts on the ship, right? You know, help, how do we do that? And bring that in. And then and then what I've really done or, or my focus has been how do we then connect sort of these, these applications and use cases within, you know, let's solve those problems with additive, but then let's also then connect it with the basic research that is needed either in design or material science or in the processes. And so as we, and I quickly recognized I don't have those expertise. And so then we had to build out a team of faculty that span different departments in engineering, different expertise, material science, you know, healthcare up in, you know, architecture and other domains. And as we built out this team, you know, it was 10 people, 20, I think we've got about 50 faculty now affiliated, plus this center. Then we sort of recognize to your point, hey, we have a unique opportunity here to start connecting these dots because Mechanical engineering is teaching a, you know, a, an additive lab. Oh, material science is teaching an in-depth course on materials for additive. Oh, IE has been teaching an additive process course for 20 years, right, and others. And so the companies that were coming in, Navy, DOD, and others were all saying, hey, we want to learn. Here's the challenges we're facing. On the inside, right, then I was connecting dots, uh, pulling different you know, people programs together. And out of that sort of grew this curriculum. And so it was very organic grassroots that we were able to put together. And I think one of the things that differentiates our program from others, it is is truly multidisciplinary, right? And so a lot of programs would be, you know, it's, it's a mechanical engineering degree of which now take two or three or four additive courses, right, that are taught by you know, ME faculty or something, but in our case, the five core courses, each of those is taught by an expert in mechanical, an expert in industrial, an expert in material science, an expert in engineering science, Uh, and then an expert, we have a separate engineering design program. And so now students from the start through those five are getting exposed to the depth in those different fields, and then through projects, labs, and other coursework, they can they can round out their expertise to be ready when they go work for you guys to then, you know, do metal additive and and consulting with companies or we're doing now a lot on 3D concrete printing, right? So now that they go out and, you know, think about 3D printed homes or, hey, part of the, the group there that started was actually for the Mars Habitat Challenge was let's take a robot and can, you know, if we print on the moon, Instead of taking all the structure up there, right? And so the ability now to, three D print, you know, structures uh, in situ, in space, wherever is. Let's pull that up. Let's tap into that expertise. So it's been a, it's been, it makes it fun to come to work every day. How about that?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think most people that are in the space of additive uh, would say that. And I think one thing that you you point yeah. out is very important about the 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 additive manufacturing industry. And that is, it is a multidisciplinary industry, which means also that we pull in experience that we have gained in the medical industry and we pull that into the automotive industry. Or we pull experience from medical into the consumer industry. And now we're printing not orthotics, but we're printing shoes and we're starting to move into customization that typically was only accessible in the the medical industry. And I think similar also you are partially at a role at NASA where you are also trying to understand how can the advancements that we're making in space be applied to some of the other industries that are out there that are uh, just emerging and can possibly benefit from the technology. Can you elaborate a bit more on your role at NASA?
1: Yeah, I, I wear many hats, right, depending on the day. Uh, and I'm fortunate being at at Penn State as a professor here, 25 years. We can use, uh, it's called an, an IPA, basically a, a, a part-time appointment in my case, where I get to then work uh, with NASA and, and meet and talk to folks like Paul Gradel uh, and Ryan McClellan that are really pushing the limits and capabilities of what additive can do for, you know, the space industry or aeronautics or uh, earth sciences. Right. And so even though that's not my specific role there in terms of bringing, bringing additive in or anything, I'm trying to help connect some dots much like I did across Penn state. You know, if you think about it, NASA has what 10 centers that are spread across the U S they have different expertise, Paul and his team, What they're doing down at Marshall with propulsion and stuff, his new book that's out, the data that they're producing and providing, right, to then transfer, I think, you know, and talking to him and hats off to that team of being able to create data that is now being able to be used in the rest of the space industry, right? I mean, what a phenomenal role. Ryan McClellan Mm -hmm. up at Goddard, for example, is really pushing AI uh, and generative design for lightweight structures. Uh, and I think that's something similar, right, between space industry and aerospace, right, where, where additive is, is important because of light weighting. Well, it's even more important light weighting when you're trying to launch something to the moon, let alone go to Mars. And so there's a yeah. natural fit for additive in that. And, you know, you look at, uh, like you were saying, medical industry, aviation industry, and of course, space industry, highly regulated. You know, you know, if anything fails, right, you run into serious issues of so flight criticality or or criticality of your implants is important. So having the standards, qualifying the material, qualifying the process to create, you know, repeatable, reliable parts and things, it's, it's, there's a lot of opportunity to learn across those three industries, in particular, space medical and aerospace or aeronautics because they're you know if something goes wrong people die and uh Mm -hmm. that's the Mm -hmm. last thing we want as an industry is we rush into something too quick too fast we don't have the data we didn't quite fully understand what was going on heaven forbid you know plane drops out of the sky or satellite blows up on launch or or you know your hip implant breaks you know, none of those are good outcomes. And so I appreciate this, you know, there's, there's a tension there as well, as you were saying earlier, in this case, between how, how fast can we do this? But also at the same time, we, we don't want to be stupid. We don't want to take unnecessary risks. Um, and, and, uh, you know, how do you, how do you resolve those, those trade-offs as you go? And so there, I think the opportunity as well to look at, well, what, what did a what did a striker or you know pipeline, these other companies, what have they done in the medical space, right? What has a Boeing or an Airbus done, you know, in, in with FAA and, and regulatory there, right? Versus, you know, what is what is NASA now doing with their standard 6030, uh, which is requirements for spaceflight hardware? So, you know, there are additive parts. On Mars right now in Perseverance uh, that uh, Jet Propulsion Lab and others have been working on for years, qualifying and certifying, that are making an additive heat exchanger is helping make oxygen on Mars right now. I mean, you just stop and think about that statement for yeah. a second, right? So, and, that, and that's not the first part, additive part, that's been up there. But it's out there, and you can read about it online, and you you know, and go and look, and you can look at at the cool you know the propulsion and and hot testing that that Paul and his team have done, and you can look at the I think Ryan McClellan's up to he's in his talks you know thirty plus you know top op and generative design parts now that are are significantly lighter weight and stiffer than what it what a human can do. So you just how do you get the word out there? How do you share these? Because Those are the stories, the success stories that that need to be shared and talked about so that it, 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 it reduces the trepidation, sort of changes the perceptions of risk in that, no, there are companies that have figured out how to do this, and it has transformed what and how those companies operate. It's an entirely new business model. It's entirely new. Manufacturing processes, an entirely new design that previously they couldn't do. And that's that's very, very exciting stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And you know, it's so interesting to see how how quickly space has adopted uh the, the benefits of additive manufacturing. Whether if it's the 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 rapid acceleration of innovation cycles, whether if it's the design freedom and the design opportunities that it brings to complex structures. Uh, but also to weight reduction to yet yeah, ultimately improve and increase the the payloads that makes them therefore space flight also more affordable and i'm curious to to hear your thoughts on the transfer of these concepts now to uh to the aviation industry and let's let's take the example of evtols right electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles how can some of these advancements be applied to those industries and and technologies that are just emerging but could truly benefit from all of these advancements
1: truly yeah no and i think um let me let me touch on one of your first points there right i think i think the space industry as a whole if i step back and look at it right you look i mean spacex right what they've been doing pushing additive and i just saw the new release on on you know, new factories that former SpaceX employees are now starting to to bring bring to market and stuff. I mean, space is interesting because light, because weight is so critical, right? Because of launch cost. Mm-hmm. and at the same time, production quantities are sort of low enough, right? You're in you you know the i hate I hate to think about the you know the cost volume curves that you see, the economics of additive versus conventional, right? I need to produce hundreds of thousands to amortize the cost doing mass production versus additive. as a flat line. Well, no, it's not a flat line, but anyway, we'll save that one. We'll, we'll save that one for another day, but you're in, you're in that low volume production side, uh, where, you know, Hey, I'm, I, if, if I launch a rocket a month, right. Well, that, that's, that's 12 things I need to make for, you know, 12 quantities of this, that, or the other. And so it's really, it's, it's in that sweet spot from a production standpoint from a complexity standpoint from a weight standpoint that you know it, it, it's not a surprise that it that it's taken off so to speak in the space industry so much so that's been great to see where then on you as you said on that that how does it then transition to you know other technologies I mean you think I think the other you you mentioned sort of the you know the design freedoms, the light weighting. I mean, all of that obviously will help with the uh, EV talls and and the electric aircraft and other stuff that we're doing, right? Because the more weight you have, the quicker you're going to drain your batteries. So there's a natural yeah, exactly. uh, opportunity there. I think we're. I think those technologies are also new enough now that, to your point, rapid iteration, rapid testing of projects or of ideas with additive is um, is going to help. You know, the companies that can do that will accelerate and drive a competitive advantage because they can get to market faster. And I think that's something that's underappreciated with additive and that we've seen now, in many cases, it is easier for me to just print several different variations of of a part or this or that and test it versus to try and run all my analysis tools, hope that they're right. Revalidate it and, and then go and make it. and so you can truly move to a more agile product development and sort of mindset there in the hardware space, which you know they've been doing that in software forever. but now here's a new industry where we, there's not a, a stable architecture, you know we've got a lot of things that we still need to figure out. additive is, is really ideally suited for that. And so how do we then take? Take the materials knowledge, the allowables, the design guidelines that that the medical industry that the space industry and others are using to further accelerate what's going on in the aviation industry right now
0: yeah, exactly. and I think one very important aspect that you just mentioned is that not only does additive manufacturing influence other industries out of the learnings that were generated in space, but also additive manufacturing is being influenced by other technologies and advancements that have already influenced other industries. And then one great example is artificial intelligence, where we're just starting to see applications and technologies that are leveraging the huge potential that AI might be able to give us. And, you know, I could definitely see a future where there is a additive chat GPT that helps engineers in certain <laughs> in certain challenges and you recently also made some Ti64 data publicly available exactly with that thought in mind what are your views on the combination of these types of technologies
1: no, I yeah you know Chat Chat GPT is coming up everywhere these days, right? I mean, yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna have the additive version soon enough if it's not already out there. I think you know what you're seeing with that is just the breadth of things now you can do with with AI, right? I think Chat GPT, I, I was you know just step back a second. I was fortunate; I had a colleague that introduced me to earlier versions of chat gpt so gpt 2 and 3 i was playing around with those chat gpt of course is now publicly available right so it's Mm -hmm. like oh now everybody gets to see how powerful these tools are which is awesome and everybody now also gets to see holy cow ai is a lot further along than i thought it was uh oh you know you know, and we're seeing that in the university, right? It's like, oh, yeah, all of our students just use ChatGPT for this homework assignment. I guess I better redo that. <laughs> you know, you're seeing AI similarly in in generative design tools, right? Like Fusion 360 from Autodesk has, has some, you know, AI-powered, AI-assisted algorithms that, uh, you know, Ryan McClellan, again, as I mentioned, has done head-to-head comparisons of let's get an expert designer to solve this problem, let's use an AI-based algorithm to optimize the problem. Goodness, I'm sorry. Your 30 years' experience, the AI gave me a better design in a fraction of the time. Woo! Um, mm-hmm. Now you're scratching your head, going, "Goodness, where? What's my value add as an engineer?" Uh, he was smart picking <laughs> picking a couple of guys that were that were getting ready to retire, so their feelings weren't hurt. But you got to now rethink, right, this younger, newer generation that's coming in. And and that's been something on the the teaching side is we're not, I don't necessarily need to train or or the the balance between training students to do CAD, for example, and create the 3D solid model versus now training students to formulate the problem, right, Define the What are the boundary conditions, the loading conditions, constraints, et cetera. We now have to be thinking much more carefully about problem formulation and problem definition because once we set that up, the AI can better, faster solve that in a fraction of the time or get us 80% of the way there quickly. And so you're you're seeing that go on in the design space and then to your point on in the, in the process space, there's so much going on, particularly in metal additive, layer by layer, I got laser, I'm melting powder, it's given off emissions, I've taken pictures, right? We're now, we have access to so much data that we become inundated with trying to make sense of it all. And so I think the big holy Grail still within additive, whether you're in space or aerospace or medical or anybody, is how do you know that you've got a, a good build, right? As it's going on? Can, if I could qualify and certify a part based on the process signatures that I monitor, holy cow. Think about the savings there from, you know, inspection and testing and everything else going on. Well, in order to do that, one build. We're fortunate with, we've got a great partnership with uh, 3D systems. We love our EOS system too. We've hacked the heck out of that with cameras and things. But now in our lab, we're able to gather four, six, eight terabytes of data for one bill. As a human, I'm not going to look through all of that. And so we have to rely on AI and machine learning to help make sense of the data, help understand the data and then eventually once once we built those models then we can start doing sort of real time closed loop process control which some people like and and some people are freaked out by because now how do I have to validate and qualify my 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 control algorithm in addition to qualifying the part that it built. So There's a, there's a mixed bag of responses on that one, but, but to your point, the opportunity to leverage these other technologies, AI and machine learning and computer vision, you know, do I put it, do I put it in the cloud? Do I need to put it on the edge? How do I get data from all my IOT, my internet of things, all these sensors? So we're living in a world of data now. And, um. We need, to, we need to be, again, thinking thinking smarter, thinking different about how to harness all of that for better parts, better processes that are helping, you know, helping a, a humanity, whether we're in, you know, driving better cars, better, safer airplanes, or exploring, you know, new worlds out there.
0: Yeah, and, and I think it's important to repeat that AI, and it's to stay in the space of additive, is not going to replace engineers. It is going to elevate and advance the work that engineers are doing today. And I think a a perfect example is process development. When how do we develop a new process for a specific application or for a new material and additive? We run a DOE, design of experiments, where we build various different test coupons with various different uh, process parameters. We play with layers of power. We play with uh, layer thicknesses. We play with laser speeds, hatch distances, all the parameters uh, that depending on the system and the technology are in the hundreds uh, of different parameters and the human mind can only do so much, right? So it saves time, it can accelerate development efforts, which then in the end really help us not only in space, but also in other industries to get additive manufacturing adopted faster because ultimately we can find new and better processes that hopefully then also have more compliance with the FAA and the FDA and other certifying bodies out there. And I think one thing that's also important to, to point out is that the the human mind is sometimes restricting new technologies by staying with what we know. And I think you've, you've coined a term um, MFD or manufacturing fixation in design, which kind of describes that concept. Can you elaborate on that for a second?
1: Absolutely, yeah. That was my uh, my most recent PhD student, uh, Jennifer Bracken Brennan, was interning in several several companies. Actually, I was jealous. She worked at five you know worked in additive teams at five different companies over the course of her PhD, which was awesome. But as we were doing that, yeah, and okay, awesome. we're doing a workshop, we're doing a this, we're doing a that, recognizing exactly as you said, sort of people depending on their their industry experience their machine manufacturing experience right they they there were these natural blinders in there and so we we were able to devise and conduct some experiments where we were intentionally looking at what is the impact of sort of this fixation on a uh, on a given manufacturing process right and everybody's talked about oh well i've been designing 30 years i've been designing parts to be machined so naturally that's how i think of it's like and all of a sudden i can design my holes don't need to be circular what you know and just <laughs> well that's how i drill them no you don't need to be anymore right just you know you could, your mind's blown right you can see it happen and so we we call you know there's a there's a research in this area called design fixation where you get fixated on a certain idea, right, and then you can't innovate outside it. And so we said, "Hey, there's a subset of that where you're fixating based on that manufacturing process or experience." And so, you know, we talk often about design for manufacturing, right? We're designing for MF. So we we were able to flip that acronym around and say, "No, no, no, manufacturing can fixate you and design, MFD. Here's how it manifests." So we're able to show it it actually in workshops where we're doing training, we're doing worksheets, we're able to show, hey, it occurs, we're able to quantify it, we're able to measure it, and then now, how do you you mitigate that, right? How do you get people to literally think outside the box, in this case, think outside of the mill or think outside of the lathe, and I think it's going to be a, a ripe area for investigation going forward. And excited with her work, and she's off now at her sixth or seventh company, you know, trying to trying to deploy additive there. So we'll see how successful she is, and uh, keeping tabs on the other companies that we've been working with in aviation, in nuclear, and you know, a couple other industries. Right. So back to these regulatory challenges, the same things. You got all these risks as well as everything else, and and how do we how do we overcome those and accelerate? product development and get other wins uh, with additive manufacturing technology.
0: Yeah. You know, the perfect example to also round up this episode, right? Somebody who has seen additive be applied in in various different organizations and can transfer all of that experience into a different industry. And the same thing, you know, we also will see in space where people who have been now in the space industry depending on the company for decades, right? And have built up additive manufacturing programs can now take that experience into, into different industries. And I'm very, very excited to see how that will accelerate the development of new technologies, whether if it's in the medical space or in the aviation industry, hopefully my personal opinion in Talls, because I'd love to uh, hop into a, a flying vehicle and get to the Austin airport within 10 minutes. But uh, we'll see, we'll see what the future brings. So Tim, I wanna thank you for for being on Additive Snack and sharing your experience and your your vision with us. It was great to have you on the show.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's been fun the last, you know, 10, 12 years here with with metals taken off and being fortunate to uh, meet and you know folks at, at various stages, both existing companies and and startups, right? That are trying to push this forward and figure it out. And so I think exciting. Exciting times are to come. We've like, we talked, you know, we certainly had the hype. We've certainly been in the uh, the trowel of, uh, of disillusionment, right? If you're familiar with Gartner's hype cycle, I think we're we're inching up and on that slope uh, plateau of productivity there. So it's an, it's an exciting time and um, can't wait to see what uh, creative ideas people come up with.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more. This is just the beginning. This was the last episode in our four-part AM Space Race series. We heard from amazing experts, including Paul Gradle from NASA, Tim Berry from Launcher, now vast. That's how fast the industry is changing. Zach Cordero from the MIT. And today, we heard from Tim Simpson at Penn State and NASA. As we discussed today, what happens in space doesn't stay in space. Expect to see major developments being adopted in other industries such as aviation, automotive, even medical, and the construction industry. So, this is just the beginning of the impact we'll see. And Additive Snack is here to keep you snacking. So, subscribe to Additive Snack on your favorite podcast app to not miss any future episodes. Until next time, I'm Fabian Auerfeld, and you've been listening to Additive Snack, brought to you by EOS, leaders in industrial 3D printing.